chapter number 2 tonight, Revelation chapter 2 this evening is where we're going to be. We're going to start looking here again at these, at these, <clears throat> these churches again tonight. And Lord willing, we'll get a blessing, that's my hope, from these, from these good, good churches we find here in the book, of the book of Revelation. If you're there at Revelation 2, would you say amen? All right, let's read, starting in verse number 8. And it says this, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are, of, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear it none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that over, overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. Thank you for the night. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I'm glad to know you are faithful. Lord, and I'm so grateful, Lord, for that great truth. But God, I pray, Lord, you'd help us now as you look in your word. Help us to see what you have for us. Help me to remember what, remember what I've studied and, spread and preach it clearly, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you've been with us the last couple of Wednesday nights, you're going to remember that we have begun a study focused on chapter number 2 and chapter number 3 of the only future book of our Bible, the book of the Revelation. Now let me remind you as we get ready to study these churches that these churches that we find here, Ephesus and Smyrna and, and Pergamos and on down the line, that these churches were very very real churches. They were physical churches. I mean, I want to remind you, as John is on the Isle of Patmos and he's writing this, this letter from a human sense, he's writing it to, to seven physical churches. He's writing to these churches. I mean, these, these are places that, that met together and they, they worshiped together, they sang together, and they laughed together. Man, they cried together, they prayed together, they saw souls saved together, and they dealt with suffering together. Man, these churches that we have in these first two chapters, chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation, they were just like you and I are today. I mean, they physically existed. So in a human sense, they, they, they were there, and then John was writing this letter to them. But can I just say, in a divine sense, these churches make a much deeper impression on you and I today. You know, there have been some who said that these churches did not, not only physically existed, but they also historically existed as well. If you and I were to take the timeline of the church and follow the timeline of the church about A.D. 80, 70, and on, you can see these churches represented in the timeline of the church. I mean, it, 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 how, how the church has excelled and how it struggled, you can find the characteristics of these seven churches in the church timeline. But much more importantly for you and I tonight, the very fact that these churches physically existed is great. The fact that they historically exist is great. But much more important to you and I, these churches symbolically, exist for you and I today. These churches you and I are studying, they, 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 they may not be meeting today physically, but their time, and their may, time may have come and gone historically in the global church, but symbolically these churches can still be found in the churches that you and I see today 
more importantly, in the people and the individuals who attend those churches today. It's important that you and I study and understand these churches so that you, that you and I can ensure that we find ourselves as the type of church and as the type of Christian that pleases the Lord. And that's why we've begun the study of these seven churches. Now last week, if you remember, we looked at the first church mentioned in chapter number two, the church at Ephesus. Man, what a great church Ephesus was. You know, I, I, if you remember, I said, some, I said some very good things about that church, or I didn't. The Word of God said some good things about that church. I mean, first of all, the Lord said that that church was a busy church. I mean, you go back up there and he says this, I know thy works, in verse, in verse 2, and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. The Lord Jesus Christ here says, listen, Ephesus, I want you to know, I see what's going on in your church, and can I tell you, I'm glad that you are a busy church. Man, can I just say, I want to be a part of a church that's a busy church. You know, I've got no interest to kind of just sit down on a pew and just kind of soak up all, all, the, all everything going on around me and just kind of sour out and just wait for the rapture to come. I have a desire in my heart that, that to be a busy church. I think a church ought to be busy. There ought to be things that are going on. We ought to be doing our best to see souls saved and to labor for our master. I'm glad that this church was a busy church. You know, another good thing that these verses said about this church is that they weren't just busy, they were bold as well. Down there in verse number 6, he said, the Lord Jesus says this, But this thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Boy, those Nicolaitans in this day and time, they were doing their best to infiltrate the church and cause havoc in the church. But I'll tell you what, this church at Ephesus, they had no desire whatsoever to yoke up with or compromise with a group of people who had no love for the truth of the Word of God. And they were bold to take a stand. Man, can I just say, I want to remind you and I, hey, listen, in this day and age, when, this, when, the, when the great buzzword of our world is the word, is the word unity, hey, listen, it may take you and I having some boldness about us to kind of stand up and say, you know what? Hey, there's some things I can be for, but there's just some things we're going to be against. And not because it's my opinion and not because it's my preference, but where the word of God stands, that's where we stand. And that's going to take a boldness in this day and age. But while he had some good things to say about him, he did have one thing against them, didn't he? Because they were a busy church, and they were a bold church. But can I tell you the great problem with the church at Ephesus is they were a blind church. You see, in all their busyness and all their boldness, they had become blind to the fact that they had left their first love. You see, they were, doing, they were, they were busy just for the sake of being busy. They no longer did it out of a love for their Savior. And can I just say, hey, at the end of the day, let's be busy. Hey, let's, 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 let's labor and let's work and let's try to do our best to live right and do right. Hey, let's be bold and let's stand for what's right. But let's make sure we have the right motive behind why we do it. Because we love our Savior. What a church, the church at Ephesus. Well, tonight we're going to look at the second church found here in chapter number 2, and that's the church at Smyrna. Smyrna, just to give you some background, was a coastal city in what is now called Izmir, Turkey. The name Smyrna actually means myrrh. 
which was actually the chief export of the city at the time. In fact, in my study, I found that they had, they had the, the kind of the, the monopoly in that region for myrrh. And myrrh was a very important, uh, uh, very important oil that was used. They used it for many different things. They used it to anoint kings on the day of their, on the day of their coronation. But one of the things they did, they did mostly for myrrh was they used myrrh at burials and at funerals. If you'll remember, uh, we're getting ready to hit Christmas time, so let's talk about the three wise men. When they came to see Jesus that day, they brought three gifts, right? They brought gold and frankincense and myrrh, pointing to the fact that Jesus was going to die for, for our sins. Did you know that it was a very good chance, in fact, a high chance, that the myrrh that was given to Jesus that day by those wise men came from Smyrna? On the day that Jesus died and he was buried there in Joseph's tomb, the myrrh they used to dress the body of Jesus and those spices and those, and those dressings that Mary and, and, and Mary and those ladies came with on the day of Jesus' resurrection, the, the oil they brought to anoint his body, that myrrh, more than likely came from this place, Smyrna. Little fun fact there. It won't be on the quiz later. So <clears throat> some other things about this. The city that was, uh, that was under the control of the, this, this, this city, like most cities in that region, was under the control of the Roman government. And because of that, it, it, because of that, they faced great problems, this church did. Because the Roman government did not just control the economy. It also controlled the spirituality of every city. You see, it was required under, the, under Roman law that the only person who could be worshipped in a Roman city was the emperor himself. Not only was he the king and not only was he the ruler, they considered him to be a god and he was required to be worshipped. And it was there in that little city that a band of believers began a church in direct opposition to their government that had, and, and that caused quite a stir. And it was to this little church that this letter was sent to. And I want to show you some things from this that I think are very important. Let's, let's, let's jump into these verses. Let's pull some things out of them. First of all, let's talk about what I would call their conquering Savior. Their conquering Savior. Look again at verse number 8. It says, Under the angel of the church in Smyrna write these things, the, uh, write, write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Now, once again, we see that the divine author over, overshadows the human author. In verse number 8, he introduces himself again to this church. And he, he references himself back again to chapter number 1. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at chapter 1, the last few verses of that, where Johnny has that vision, he turns around, and he sees a vision of the, of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ there in his glorified body. And there he is standing amongst those seven candlesticks, and he has those seven stars in his right hand. Well, once again, Jesus references back to, those, to that moment that John saw that vision, but he takes another portion of that, of that description and he, to introduce himself to the, to the church here in Smyrna. He says this, I am the first and the last. Now that's a reference back to chapter 1 verse 17 where he says, I am the first and and the last. Can I tell you, there's some, great, there's some great truth in that one little statement. That word first, it comes from the Greek word protos. And that just simply means the beginning. And that word last comes from the Greek word eschatos, which means the ending. He says, I'm the beginning and I'm the end. You know, can I say, Jesus here once again is stating his, is, is stating his eternal 
characteristic. In the beginning, Jesus was there. If you and I could take a trip through time to, 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 to time before time, Jesus Christ would be there. John said it like this in this gospel in John 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Listen, He's not only the first, He, he, he is the very first. Hey, when, 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 when God stepped out there on the middle of nothing, and just simply the power of His voice, He began to create this world in six days. Jesus Christ was there. He was there before time was ever invented. Hey, He is the beginning. Yet He's not only the beginning, He's also the last. He's the end as well. You know, there will come a day when every president will give their last speech, when every king makes their last proclamation, when every dictator makes their last decree. There will be a day that every pastor gives their last message and every teacher gives their last lesson. And there's going to be a day that every man will breathe their last breath. But in the end, Jesus he will still be there. He is forever. He is eternal. He's the first and He's the last. Oh, friend, I'm so glad to tell you that I serve a Savior who was there before time was. And when time shall be no more, He'll still be there reigning forever and ever and ever. But He also makes another statement as well. He says this, I am He, that I, 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 the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Oh, friend, can I tell you, we could take, we could take you know, Sunday after Sunday and try to expound on the truth of that word about the very fact that Jesus was not only there in the beginning, and not only the very fact that he'll be there in the very end, but yet there was also that God who was there before time ever was who laid down his life and he died for the sins of mankind. But friend, I'm so glad to tell you that he didn't stay dead. Oh no, friend, I know. That day when, when, when he, Jesus cried from Calvary's cross, it is finished. I know Satan thought he won. I know they thought that they thought he was defeated. But friend, while those three days he was there in that ground and he wasn't swooning, he hadn't passed out. No friend, he gave up the ghost. He sacrificed himself. He died there at Calvary. He went down into the pits of, uh, the pits of Sheol there and he stepped across time and he went into hell and he took the keys of death and hell and the grave and he walked out of that grave in Victory, alive, never to die again. There he was, friend. Yes, he was dead. But now he's alive forevermore. Oh, friend, can I tell you, you and I, we could take a trip across the ocean and we could go to the great graves of great religious leaders. Oh, we could find ourselves in front of this great, this, this great tomb to a man whose name was Muhammad, this religious leader. And people, people flock there yearly to go walk around his grave. But can I tell you something, friend? Inside of that tomb is a dead Muhammad. There are people who travel overseas and they've gone to the graves of men like Confucius and every other religious leader. Can I tell you, friend, they go to a tomb and inside that tomb there is a dead religious leader. But friend, if you and I were to take a trip to Jerusalem and we were to find ourselves in Jerusalem, we may, we may come to a place that may have been his grave, but I'll tell you, friend, we could walk right in there and there would be nobody because he was dead, but he's alive forevermore. Oh, friend, can I tell you what a great truth and that you and I can rejoice in the fact that our Savior is alive this evening. Oh, friend, can I say that should give you and I some comfort and it gave this church some comfort as well because this church had a great problem and it wasn't a theological problem. It wasn't a doctrinal problem. This church had a terrible problem. They were under great persecution. 
So we've talked about the, 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 their, their, their conquering Savior, but let's talk a little bit about their, their, their suffering saints as well. Look at verse number 9 where he says this, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty. <clears throat> let's, let's stop there. You know, can I, what I found to be interesting as I studied out these churches is that each of these seven churches, they all faced some persecution. Listen, it was hard to be a member of a, of, a, of a New Testament church in this day and not have some level of persecution. But this church seemed of all the seven to have faced the worst persecution of all of them. This, 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 they were under a great persecution. And what I found to be so interesting is that all of these churches were really located relatively closely in that region of Asia Minor. But this church, for some reason, had faced a greater scrutiny and a greater persecution than any other church. Can I tell you, when I studied, when I studied this out, I found this out, that this church faced physical persecution. He, and it's mentioned here where it says this, I know thy works and thy tribulation. Oh, listen, they, 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 they had intense persecution. You know, uh, the, the earliest record that you and I have of, of a martyrdom outside of the New Testament is right here in the city of Smyrna. You see, this, this, church had a, this church had a pastor who has become famous to us in our circles as well. While Ephesus may have had pastors like John and pastors like, like Timothy, this church had a pastor whose name was Polycarp. He was, the, he was the pastor of this church here in Smyrna. You know, he was, he, was a, he was a friend of the Apostle John. And at the age of 86 years old, he was dragged from his home to stand before the proconsul of the city of Smyrna. And there, that proconsul tried to, tried to force him to deny Christ. And it was said that the proconsul looked at him and said, he said, reproach Christ and I will set you free. And Polycarp replied, as he had no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? But the proconsul did not give up. He said this, I have wild animals here and I'll throw you into them if you do not repent. And Polycarp looked at him and said, well, call them. He said, it's unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. I will be glad to, I'll be glad though to be changed from evil to righteousness. If you despise the animals, the pro-council said, he said, then I'll have you burned. And Polycarp replied back and he said, you threatened, you threatened me with, with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. He said, why are you waiting? Just bring on whatever it is that you want. So the crowds then gathered wood for the fire and Polycarp took off his robe and walked into the middle of the, of, of the wood. And the soldiers grabbed his, his, his arms to nail him and he said this, he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on this pyre unmoved without the security you desire from the nails. And, bef and before the fire was even started, Polycarp was said to have prayed this, I bless you for considering me worthy of this day and, and hour of sharing with the martyrs in the cup of your Christ so as to share in resurrection to everlasting life of soul and body in the Holy Spirit. May I be received among them into your presence today as a rich and acceptable sacrifice. And Polycarp stood on that pyre and they took, the, they took the torch and they lit the fire to burn Polycarp. But it was said 
For, uh, for the, when it was said that when the, when the fire was set, that the fire didn't, didn't reach Polycarp. It actually formed an arch around him and failed to burn him. So the soldiers there took a, took a sword and they stabbed him and they killed him. That's the persecution that this church faced. I mean, physical persecution. Oh, friend, can I tell you? That, 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 but they also faced that, 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 that not only physically like that, it was a choice in that day. You have to understand, we don't understand this because thank God we live in a country that as of right now, you and I can free, freely worship the God that we choose to worship. But can I say, in this day, in that Roman town, to, to go out to become to, to, to follow anybody other than the Roman emperor was a choice to step into great persecution. Oh, friend, your family would abandon you. Your friends would abandon you. You'd lose your job and your livelihood because you couldn't trade in the trade houses because you didn't believe in the God of the Roman emperor. Oh, friend, it was a choice to enter into tribulation. And they did it gladly. Gladly. Can I say, you, listen, as I began to study this week, I found this out. There's a great website called opendoors.org. And, they began, and I began to find this out, that in this world you and I live in, that almost 400 Christians are, like, are, are killed for their faith every month. 13 Christians every day are killed for their faith. And Open Door said that, was, that is a likely underreported number. There are 214 churches and Christian properties that are destroyed every month in, in this world. <clears throat> There are 772 forms of violence, or like beatings or kidnappings or rape or arrest that are committed against Christians every month in this world. And around and, 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 and in the 20th century, around 40 to 80 million Christians have been martyred in the course of history. Oh, friend, can I say, they, they face persecution. We face persecution. Now, I thank God, can I just say that as of right now, I have not had to experience a physical persecution for my faith. I tend to believe, and I'll say this as honestly as I can, I tend to believe that if persecution were to come, and let me, hear, let me say this, it may come before the Lord comes back. We're really going to begin to kind of weed out the, the wheat and the chaff there. Because, listen, to be like Polycarp, to stand and say, do what you want. Hey, it's an honor for me. Thank you, Lord, for thinking me worthy to suffer like you suffered. Oh, friend, can I say, what a, what a testimony that is. They faced physical persecution, but they also faced verbal persecution as well. You see what it goes on to say in verse number 9. It says this, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. What I begin to find out is this, is that uh, in, in every Roman town in, in, in the Roman Empire, it was required that you, be, that you worship the Roman emperor, but there was one group of people who had an exemption from that, and it was the Jewish people. And so in that day, as, the, as the, this, this young New Testament church began to bloom and grow in that area, the Jew, the, 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 in Smyrna, the, the, the synagogue began to fight against the, this little New Testament church. And they began to talk badly about this church and spread gossip and slander about this church and what was going on in that church. They began to say things that, 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 that this church was practicing cannibalism because they took the Lord's Supper. They talked about taking the, the, the blood and the body of Christ. So the rumor began to spread in that town 
that they were practicing cannibalism there in that, in, in, in that church. They began to spread false gossip about, about how these churches didn't like families and they, they didn't like the family dynamic, which was a big deal to the Roman government because they, thought they called everybody in their church brother and sister. And this gossip began to spread and slander began to happen. And this church not only faced physical persecution, but then they faced, they faced verbal persecution as well. Oh, friend, can I just say, this church had problems. They were constantly, they were constantly coming under fire. This church had a, this church had suffering saints in it. Can I just say, hey, it'll be a good day in our life when we come to the place and we realize if we've ever had to suffer any kind of persecution for the cause of Christ, we find ourselves in very good company. Friend, I, well, I, I may have never had to ex- experience any kind of physical persecution. There may have been times where I maybe have had to face some verbal persecution. Hey, I may have had some family, and maybe you've had some family who's turned their back on you because of your faith in Christ. Hey, you may have had some friends who've turned their back on you because of your faith in Christ. You may have had some people who talk badly about you. All those friends you used to have before you got saved, and now that you are saved, they want nothing to do with you, and they mock you, and they make fun of you, and they don't understand. But friend, hey, just count it all joy, you find yourself in good company. Oh, friend, hey, you and I, our history of our Christian heritage is, is a beautiful heritage, but it's a bloody heritage. People have paid the price. Oh, friend, they have come down the line and they've willingly, gladly, happily sacrificed so you and I can enjoy what we have today. Oh, friend, hey, this, these suffering saints, they paid a great price so that you and I could have great joy in this day and age. Hey, and you and I ought to find ourselves under Understanding in those moments that we find ourselves facing any persecution, any hardship, any pain for our faith. I like the parentheses found right there in verse number 9. He said this, but thou art rich. He said, I know thy works and thy tribulations and poverty. He said this, but thou art rich. Oh, friend, can I just say, I, I, the, the, the great truth of our Bible is so anti the culture of our day because our culture today would say the best thing you can do is don't have to pay a price for your faith. Hey, just give in a little bit. Hey, just go along to get along. Just sacrifice a little bit, and then you can enjoy not only the luxuries of this world, but then you can enjoy the, 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 the bomb that you want to get from your faith. But they didn't want to pay that price. Hey, they weren't about to give in. They weren't about to compromise. They weren't about to, 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 to stop towing the line. They said, if i got to suffer, I'll suffer. Because, listen, they knew that they had treasures laid up in a far greater place than anywhere here on earth. Yes, friend, they may have lost jobs. Yes, friend, they may have lost family. Yes, friend, they may have lost it all. But they knew there was a far better place they were heading to. I like that old song. I can't, oh, let me see if I remember how it goes. But, oh, it's not what you see. That makes me a king, makes me a king. To me, I've everything, all that I need, all that I need, treasures unseen. Frank, can I just remind you that here, that here in this day, hey, if we got to pay a price for our faith, let's gladly pay it. Hey, if we got to lose a friend, our faith, let's gladly lose it. Hey, if our family turns our back on us because they don't understand, hey, listen. Let's, let's not weep in the sorrow of that. Let's rejoice because we know there's a far better place where our treasures are laid, where, where gold and rust can't corrupt, where thieves can't break through and steal. Hey, the world may look at you and I and say, oh, you fools, hey, you've given it all up. You've lost everything. Hey, you have nothing. They may call us foolish, but I know, and you know according to the word of God, hey, there's a treasure down the road that's far greater than what this world can pay. 
Oh, yes, you face tribulation. Yes, you face poverty. But don't forget, Smyrna, you're rich. You're rich. Oh, friend, they're, they're conquering Savior. They're, 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 they're uh, suffering saints. But then can I just show you this and I'll be through. I like their, I like their comforting statement. Their comforting statement. Verse 10 just says this, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now here in this one verse, one verse, Jesus gives this church a very comforting statement. He tells them first, he tells them two things. First of all, he tells them to fear not. Fear not. Can I just say, that fear not runs throughout our Bible time and time again. And any time that that angel stands there and says, fear not, or, or here in this moment, Jesus stands there and says, hey, fear not, can I just tell you, there's a great calm that comes when the Lord steps in. Well, I want to remind you that this, that this, this, this Savior who says, fear not, in this statement, it was the same Savior who just a few chapters, it was just one chapter back, and right there in the middle of those candlesticks. Can I tell you why this church could face the persecution? Can I tell you why this church could face the suffering? It's because they knew that their Savior was not, not, was not far away, that he was right there in the middle amongst them. Hey, and he says, fear not what's getting ready to happen. Don't fear the persecution. Don't fear the trouble. Don't fear, fear the sorrow. Don't fear any of it because I'm right there with you. Oh, friend, can I just say, what a great grug, what a joy it is to know that our Savior is there with us in everything to come. That's that, in this verse, we learn some great things. He first of all tells them that they're going to suffer. He, he, he says that there's, some of them are going to be imprisoned and they'll be tried and they'll have tribulation. But then he says this, they'll have tribulation and he uses, he uses the phrase, 10 days. Now, what does that 10 days mean? Well, there's a couple of different thoughts there. One, 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 the one line of thought on that 10 days is that 10 days means that, that there will be 10 persecutions that this church would face. But the, the other line of thinking is that the, the, a metaphor, this, that word 10 days was a common metaphor that was used in John's day. And that, word, that, that phrase 10 days simply just meant it's a short period of time. That, that yes, persecution was going to come. That yes, suffering was going to come. That yes, imprisonment was going to come. But it wasn't going to last forever. Can I tell you, you and I can have great comfort in that. Listen, I understand that, listen, that there, there are times that you and I will be called to suffer for our Savior. And it may not come in persecution, and it may not come in, 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 in verbal, verbal persecution. It may come in a sickness. It may come in a struggle. It may come in, 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 in some, some unforeseen avenue. But can I just remind you, it'll only last 10 days. It won't last forever. You know, I, there have been people who I've watched, who, 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 people who've made an impact on my life, who have been diagnosed with cancer. And that cancer took them all the way to the end of their life. But it didn't last forever. Because when they closed their eyes in death here, they opened their eyes in heaven. And that cancer that destroyed their body here, it didn't go with them to heaven. 
I've seen people who had to suffer, uh, who, had, who have had to suffer great struggles with their family. I've seen, I, I, I've known people who, 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 who were good, faithful wives and, and, and they were good Christian ladies and yet their husband had no love for Jesus whatsoever. And to go to church any Sunday was, the, was, the, was to go home that Sunday afternoon to a, to a, to a, to a, to a home that was going to be nothing but a fight and nothing but a problem because their husband didn't understand. Hey, can I tell you, I watched them suffer. But can I just, can I just tell you, I'm comforted to know and it wasn't going to last forever because there'll become a day whether, whether it never ended here on earth there'll become a day when heaven will come and all that suffering is left behind Hey, friend, can I just say the great comfort of that verse is yes, smarter, there's trouble. Yes, smarter, there's problems. Yes, smarter, there's issues. But don't worry, it won't last forever. Hey, Polycarp found out, did he not, when that, when that sword pierced his body, that that flame could no longer touch him, that sorrow could no longer touch him, and he, he gloried to die there for his Savior because he could step out of this immortal body, I mean, this mortal body, into immortality in heaven forever. It'll only last 10 days. It's not going to last forever. And can I just tell you, friend, hey, you and I, let's fear not in the struggles. Let's fear not in the persecution. Let's, let's not be dismayed when trouble comes. We're in good company, but it won't last forever. And if we can, if we can fear not, I like what he says at the end of verse 10. He says this. He says, and be thou faithful unto death. Can I just tell you, if I don't have to fear, then I can definitely choose to be faithful. I can be faithful to the end. Well, can I just say, one of the great tragedies of the church in this day and age is that we have, we have, we have come to a place where we lack faithfulness. Listen, we want fullness. We want the fullness of the Spirit of God. Hey, we want the blessing of God. We want God's hand to rest in our life. We want all the things God can, can give to us, but yet the one thing God requires of us, we're unwilling to give. Because he says this, moreover, it's required of stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithful. Oh, listen, can I just say, you and I, we can be faithful. Listen, I, I, I may not be able to sing, but I can be faithful to church. I may not be able to, 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 to preach very well, but I can be faithful to church. Hey, I may not be a great soul winner, but I can be faithful to tell people about Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, God never required you and I to have all the best gifts, have all the greatest talents, and to be able to do all the best things. But I'll tell you what he did say. He said this, be faithful. Be faithful. Oh, friend, can I just say, well, there ought to be a desire in our heart. Hey, I don't have to fear anything. Hey, listen, listen, you and I have no fear of anything. Hey, but I can tell you this, if I don't have to fear, I can definitely be faithful. He said, fear not and be faithful. You know, there's a great reward for faithfulness in our Bible. And we find it right there in verse number 10. He said, and I will give thee a crown of life. Oh, can I tell you something? You know, <laughs> one of the great misnomers of our day, and I really am wrapping up. I've said that 14 times, but I really am going to wrap up here in a second. One of the great misnomers of our day is that when we all get to heaven, I mean, I've, I've heard people say this, I just can't wait to get to heaven and hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But friend, let me just remind you something. Let me just say well done if you and I have done well. You know, those crowns that I, the Bible talks about, 
you know, that, this, crown of, this crown of life that's given to those who were faithful to the end. But sadly, there's going to be some people who stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and they won't have a crown to cast at his feet because they were never faithful to the end. Friend, I want to just tell you something. That reward for just being faithful ought to be, ought to be a desire of our heart. Yes, Smyrna suffered. Yes, they faced persecution that none of these other six churches had to face. But they were faithful. They were faithful. This is one of two churches that you have right here, these seven churches, where Jesus doesn't have to deal with an issue in their church. There's another one coming up down the road. But this church, hey, Jesus didn't have to say, hey, I have something against you. Hey, there's something you're doing I'm not really, I'm not really happy with. This church suffered. This church paid the price. But they did it gladly. And they did it faithfully. And can I just say, listen, when I, when I look at this church, I have never, and I've been in church outside of a couple of years of my rebellion my whole life. And I've never suffered one time what this church has suffered. And if they can be faithful, I can be faithful. Hey, if they can live right, I can live right. If they can love their Savior, I can love my Savior. It cost them, several of them, everything. And they did it gladly. It puts me in mind of over there in Philippians 3.10 where, where Paul says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. They had a different kind of fellowship with their Savior because they suffered for him. Let's be faithful. Let's just be faithful. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'll be looking around you.